0: The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the securities discussed. For more information, head over to investmar.com.au.
1: Welcome to the latest edition of Skin in the Game. I'm your host, Nathan Bell. I manage the InvestMart slash Intelligent Investor growth and income portfolios. And as always, I'm joined by Alex Hughes, who looks after our small cap portfolio. Welcome, Alex. Hi, Nathan. Uh, Another huge week of reporting season. Now, I know last week we tried to keep all our answers to one minute and I uh, unfortunately lived up to the stereotype of being a male who couldn't do two things at once. Uh, I couldn't keep my eye on the time and listen to you and try and uh, have a conversation and talk about stocks. So we're going to try and keep it to one minute again, but we're actually going to split this uh, episode up into a couple of pieces. So first, we're going to just answer a couple of broad questions or a couple of questions from listeners. Then we're going to talk about three stocks uh, that almost, I think, uh, you and I both own in our portfolios. Then I'm going to let you go, and then I'm going to look at a number of the more blue chip stocks so you can get back to reporting season sounds good to me now let's dive in all right so the first question uh from toe was about uh catapult so i won't read out the full question but he's basically saying the share
0: price has essentially collapsed what's going on is it an opportunity Yes, okay, so Catapult provides wearable devices and also does video analytics for professional sporting teams and they've got a number of the major sporting teams across codes throughout the world. So they've established a bit of a customer base there, but I've kept a loose eye on this business over the years, but I've kept my distance because I'm not convinced that there's any competitive advantage here. I wonder whether this is just a commodity hardware provider. Um, And I think that because the the data is actually owned by the, the teams. And so that means they can switch the data between hardware providers, and those hardware providers are, are unlikely or less likely to earn a really strong return in, in providing that hardware to those teams. The bull case was really about they're going to take
1: this to the masses, right? It wasn't they get a few, uh, you know, the AFL teams, for example, like the elite uh, teams onto the onto the platform or onto the service. And then they're going to go around america and get it all through the high schools and and the yeah. market salivated over it
0: that's exactly right the the prosumer category they called it but i'm skeptical a bit about that as well i think the cost of acquiring these customers is, is going to be more than a professional sporting team where you've got one decision maker that makes the decision for a big group and there's lots of devices involved with prosumer you have to acquire those consumers individually it requires a completely different approach and i think the value of those consumers is lower as well so there's inferior economics in that category and and they're essentially unproven in that space so when that's early in that journey I think it it makes sense to give them a wide berth and to watch the progress. Um, Share price is down a lot, there's a new CEO in and he's going to bring a new plan to the business so for the time being I think it makes sense just just to watch it and, and, and see what his plan is.
1: It's a serial capital raiser as well, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's right, there's been a number over the years and um, there's, there's a high corporate cost there which seems to eat away at all the earnings from each division, so that's another thing to keep an eye on.
1: Okay, so a question from Nylang, which is, uh, basically how can you have a shared portfolio for your kids, and uh, I know from personal history that this is ex- extremely difficult, because if you can't open uh, the, an account, like a, a stockbroking account, uh, under your child's name, uh, which is actually very difficult anyway. It's also difficult for children to be able to buy and manage funds because fund managers don't like uh, essentially selling their stock or units in their fund to, to minors um, because it's hard to defend that, the, um, that they're an educated investor. Uh, and so what a lot of people do is look to have uh, money in their own name uh, and then pass on the uh, value of those shares uh, to their children or grandchildren and the problem with this is that uh, the government clamped down on this uh, many years ago because a lot of very wealthy family members were putting the money in their kid's name and getting a big tax discount, so now, uh, I, uh, basically what, what I did at Nylang was I just did a Google search for how to invest for, for a child in shares and there was two things that came up. There was One, there seems to be an ability to have a trustee relationship with your child, so you as the, the adult or the parent. Can be the trustee, and then you can uh, essentially manage the uh, child's investment. The problem is that well, one, you've got to understand your obligations as a trustee, uh, and the other problem is that the tax rates on on those numbers are actually very punitive. So I think the four, first 446, the first 465 dollars uh, of income, or capital gain, or dividend, or interest, whatever it is, is is tax free. But after that, to about 1,200, it's taxed at 66%. Uh, and then it goes down to the top marginal tax bracket rate which is 47% after that. So uh, really the rules have tightened up on this and and you can understand why because we don't want wealthy people just funneling money down to their children uh, without having to pay tax on it or minimizing tax. So this is a really difficult issue. Uh, I recommend just doing the Googling and, and have a look but really what seemed to make sense to me and again this is not a recommendation and I'm certainly not a tax expert But the the best idea seemed to be or the most practical solution was just to find uh, the adult in the family who was on the lowest tax bracket and then just invest the funds uh, just as you would normally and then just, uh, you know, give the proceeds to your child at some point maybe when they turn 18 or they can have their own account which is basically what I've done uh, with my son i've bought some shares for him and i just pay the tax for him and and he has the, the benefit and i give him the added bonus that he doesn't have to pay the tax but i do but um, maybe you might want to be harsher on your child mm-hmm. <laughs> so with that we're going to go into a few stocks uh, that alex you've been covering that i also own these uh mostly in the growth portfolio but one of them's in the income portfolio as well uh, and then i'll go through a whole bunch of blue chips and let you get back to reporting season the first stock Uh, fast fashion jewellery retailer,
0: LaVisa. LaVisa, yes. So LaVisa, I'm sure listeners are aware of it, it's got a number of stores throughout Australia and it provides fast fashion. And the competitive edge here is the supply chain. So they're able to see um, jewellery designs on the catwalk and get those into store very quickly and to do so at a really low price point. So in doing so, they've captured the hearts and minds of many young consumers and the business has performed very well. And if you look at the unit economics of, of LaVisa's stores, it's absolutely incredible. They tend to pay themselves off within one year, they generate 80% gross margins, they turn their stock very quickly, and that leads to fantastic economics. The, at the group level, they generate return on equity of around 100%, so it's unheard of in the retailing space. Um, so this result was, was important for a few reasons. Um, We we learned that the Australian business is softening, and and that's to be expected. The consumer's under pressure. Um, There's also the effect of a falling currency, and that impacts gross margins. Like-for-like sales were down 1.8%. So that's not not overly surprising. Um, But what was surprising was the update on the international rollout. Now, LaVisa has expanded internationally. About half, or more than half of their stores are already overseas and so we know that the concept works internationally, but we've got an update about the US in particular, that the trial stores, they had eight throughout California, performed very well, and they're now moving to a full rollout across the US. Now this is really interesting because LaVisa has about 340 stores, and the US has over 1,000 malls, so there's the potential for the US rollout to triple the network of LaVisa quite easily. It could be even bigger than that, potentially. So this is now a business with great economics, with a, a great rollout ahead and we think it's quite a reasonable price even after its little uptick recently.
1: Yeah, so it's in the low uh, 20s at the moment but if they're very successful in the US then clearly this share price could be almost multiples of what it is today.
0: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So you and I have both bought some shares. We bought some before and after the result. and. Um, yeah, it's quite quite exciting in the future. So yeah, we're quite ex- excited to see the rollout progress in the US and in other parts of Europe. And yeah, we're we're anticipating some strong earnings growth from this business.
1: So it's another one that's uh, something that's very important to me, and I'm sure it's for you. Is the insider ownership and Brett Balundi is a very large shareholder in the business. He's a, pretty sure he's a billionaire. And he's been able yep. to, done it in retail, which is a very difficult industry.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, it's got all those factors we like to see.
1: Okay, Hanson Technologies, which is a billing company that's been a long-time recommendation of Intelligent Investor and a long-time portfolio holding, share price is a bit weak, down about I think 20-25% over the last couple of weeks. What's
0: happening? Yep, so it was a soft result. Um, Revenue was down about 5% and EBITDA was down about 15%. And that was largely due to lower one-off spending by their customers. So there's two components to their revenue, they get recurring revenue, and that's just for the ongoing use of the billing software. So the customers use the software to build their customers for utilities and pay TV and and other important things like that. But they also do some one-off spending to add features or to improve things. And so that was lower on the year and that led to the lower earnings result. Now it was a bit of a mediocre result, um, but you get that with long-term shareholding. Um, And I, I find these results to be the most difficult as an investor because it's not entirely clear either way whether the thesis is moving ahead or if it's broken. And so, you know, you have to really sit down and and assess things closely. And I think the the business case is on track. The the customer captivity that this business has is very impressive. It's very difficult for customers to leave. And that gives Hanson lots of pricing power and gives this really reliable earnings stream. So that's the main reason we're there. And also the fact that the Hanson family manage this business and own a lot of stock. And um, that helps to align their interests with ours. So now, with the I think the multiple is around you know 16 or 17. Um, it's a reasonable multiple for what we think is a sort of an, an above-average business. It's not the best software business in the world, but we think it's it's good enough, and the price is also good enough to. Yeah,
1: it's a funny irony about this business. It's got very sticky customers, but to get another big contract for another um, you know big billing customer base is actually quite
0: difficult because of those. Because uh, of that stickiness, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And that leads to an inferior software model. It means that each customer has a different, r- operates a different code base, and that isn't as scalable as some of the SaaS businesses out there, um, but you can still have a decent business when it's very difficult for your customers to leave.
1: All right, favorite stock of yours, mate, I think your career is gonna be tied to this stock, <laughs> but it's producing, Ordinate.
0: Ordinate, so we did cover this a few weeks ago, so I do want to be brief. Um, Ordinate reports um, quarterly cash results, so we, we had a fair understanding of the financial results going into the result. So revenue was up about 50% in constant currency, EBITDA was about one7 which was ahead of many of, what the, many of the analyst expectations leading into the result. But that stuff doesn't really matter to us at this point, it's all about the competitive dynamics. So each result we like to see how their market share is progressing and what their competitors are doing. So the number of devices that adopt the Dante protocol increased by about 11%. But most importantly, the competitors adopted devices was stagnant. And I I caught up with Dante's management and spent most of the time peppering them with questions about the, the competition and what's happening there. And I get a real sense that the competition is almost resigned to the fact that the battle has been won. Management. Um, speak about Cirrus Logic, which is the owner of CobraNet, which is their main competitor. And they, they, they say things like, this business is being run for cash. Um, you know, they're not really trying to catch up in any way. They've, they, they don't have many levers to pull and they're, they're not trying to invest a lot in that business. So it really changes how I think about valuation because in the past, I looked at the total addressable market and then said what can Ordinate win and then what is it worth on that basis. But then I applied a 50% discount to that just on the basis that you know, this is a fast moving space, you know, technology is unpredictable or maybe we might miss something in our analysis. But now returning to that with this information that Ordinate's market share is 75% and that looks to be strengthening, I'm starting to question whether that 50% discount to that potential value is justified. So, when you start to do that um, you know ordinate maybe an even better buy even at these higher prices so yeah very very comfortable holding it it's now uh it's now actually the biggest position in the small company fund and i'm quite happy to have it there for the time being
1: yeah i certainly wish i had more of it in the growth fund but i'm happy i've got it at all <laughs> all right alex thanks for your time mate uh, we'll let you get back to reporting season and i'll uh, get into the blue chips okay thanks guys thanks alex so the first point I wanted to make uh, was actually in relation to our last podcast, which was about Unibay or Redamco. I'd only looked at it for about 30 seconds, as I said last time, and uh, when I got back into the detail, it turned out the result wasn't actually as good as uh, what I initially thought it was. And, and the worst thing was actually a couple of things I didn't like about management. One was that they've essentially reset the earnings and distributions from here. So there was essentially a one-off backward step. And although there's going to be growth from here... They said that their, the Westfield acquisition hasn't paid off instantly, which is not a big deal. Um, but nonetheless, it has, hasn't instantly created value and um, therefore the earnings would be down because of that. But the other part of it was that they also decided to reduce their gearing even further than what they originally said. And obviously when you own less properties, that's going to affect the amount of profit in the business. So. Uh, those two impacts led to essentially a reset uh, in the earnings and the distributions which should be fine from here but it just took a little bit of uh, I guess the icing of the the valuation and that's why essentially the the share price was weak so I still like it still in the portfolios I still think it's one of the better income opportunities out there but um, it's going to take a while for the integration of Westfield to happen and And no doubt uh, discretionary retail is going to be under some pressure over the next couple of years, particularly in Australia. A company that's an important part of the growth fund is Reliance Worldwide. It's not a very well covered company, uh, not widely covered company. I'm not really sure why Intelligent Investor doesn't cover it either. But this is the company that's basically the number one for uh, what they call behind the wall plumbing uh, with the push to connect product. So this is a product where in the old days you'd have to get in, If essentially if the pipes are broken, you'd have to uh, knock down the wall and then uh, saw or hacksaw the pipes and then um, and re-weld them together. And uh, basically with these push to connect uh, plastic or, or brass uh, components, they can just essentially click together. So it saves the plumber an immense amount of time and that gives Reliance Worldwide Uh, some pricing power because of the amount of time they save when a plumber has to go to someone's house. It's up to about 60% time savings. Um, So uh, these are products that are very uh, cheap in a sense. They're like six or $7 uh, fittings, but um, if you just put those prices up a little bit every year, then because they're uh, part of a much more expensive project or if they're part of a new house, um, then there's a lot of pricing power there because people don't really care how much they cost because they're such a tiny component of, of the overall cost. The earnings at the moment were in, in line with what management came out with a month ago. Uh, it's, it's not really about a current uh, earnings um, uh, increase or anything like that with this business. This is a business that I think can do really well over the next decade and beyond. It has a large insider ownership with the Munts family. The company's recently made a big U.S. Acquisi- uh, UK acquisition of a company called John Guest and they said that's on track and the cost savings will be a little bit more than what they anticipated earlier. So you're paying um, low 20s as in terms of pr- price to earnings multiple, uh, but I think you're paying for quality. And uh, at the moment, it's, I think it's less than 15% of the global plumbing market uses these push to connect products. So as older plumbers leave the industry, uh, the take up and the market share of these types of companies should increase over time. Uh, Reliance is the number one in most of its markets, uh, although there is competition and Reese has its own type of products, which we also own in both the growth and income portfolio. Uh, but again, this is a company that ticks a lot of quality boxes inside our ownership, but we're not buying this for the results for this year or next year. This is one we plan to own for the next decade. The next, uh, I'm going to cover three companies in one go. So it's Coles, Woolies and West Farmers. Uh, West Farmers announced... Uh, it's, I mean basically West Farmers is Bunnings at the moment and Bunnings I would possibly argue is the best retailer in the country. Uh, it's an absolutely fantastic operation, but it did show that uh, even though there was decent growth rates compared to just about every other retailer in Australia, there definitely was slowing growth and we're seeing that across the board and particularly when I'll talk about Coles and Woolies in the moment. West Farmers uh, is paying a special dividend Uh, which the market obviously liked. I've sold West Farmers out of the growth portfolio because I think it's fairly valued, but I've kept it in the income portfolio for the dividend yield. The balance sheet is basically full of cash essentially, and I have no doubt that West Farmers will be buying something at some point. This isn't a great environment to be buying things. Asset prices are very high, so they're going to, I hope, exercise some patience. But in terms of this business being worth more than the current share price, it's going to need a smart uh, acquisition. I actually think uh, Bunnings, You know, if we do have a proper housing recession at some point in Australia, then Bunnings will, uh, will suffer a little bit in the short term. But if you have a look at similar companies in the US, uh, the two companies are Home Depot and Lowe's, L-O-W-E-S. Uh, they uh, got through the GFC in the States with no problem, and they really, uh, particularly Home Depot, which was poorly managed, going to the GFC has come out and been an absolute ripping stock since the GFC. So um, if you're a long-term holder of that business, uh, I think you would be absolutely fine. But um, there's definitely some weakness in those other Kmart target uh, type businesses. I just don't think they're great businesses anyway. And uh, with Amazon and more online shopping, just the prices continue to fall. And it just gets harder and harder to keep those profit margins up. Coles and Woolworths uh, were very similar in their results. They, they were actually much weaker than most people anticipated and it's a good lesson that you can't just pay uh, any price for even a defensive retailer because people know that these are defensive retailers and because a lot of people are quite scared about what the market's got to offer in the future and about the economy and they're really huddling or crowding into these types of stocks so any disappointment when you're on 22 or 23 times earnings as Woolworths was uh, is going to lead to some share price disappointment and i even seen one sell side analyst come out with a valuation of about $23, uh, which is a, a fair way from where we are now at about $28.50. Uh, but it, it does show that people are under pressure. We've got a savings ratio in Australia that's collapsed and we're seeing house prices continue to fall and debt levels are extraordinarily high in Australia just compared to just about anywhere else in the world. So that relationship has to change and normally what you see when the savings ratio collapse Collapses is a period where the savings ratio actually starts to increase and this is not good for earnings for companies because it means people are spending less as they repair their own balance sheets and while they're repaying debt. So very soft uh, results for Coles and Woolies. Flight Centre, another one that's in the discretionary retail, it's a company we own uh, in the growth portfolio. I can't remember if I've got anything in the income portfolio off the top of my head. Um, but it uh, pays a good dividend and again the the Australian earnings were weak and it was actually the overseas, uh, particularly in the States, the corporate part uh, of its business that's growing and that's really why I own it uh, in in at least one of the funds. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's in both funds actually but (laughs) uh, fully frank dividend. It's paying out a special dividend which uh, was great but no doubt the Australian business is under pressure But I think the long term, management has finally been making the switch. I remember back at Intelligent Investor, you know, up until four or five years ago, management was always criticised for not investing in the internet and switching the business. But I think you can't say that about management anymore. I think they've been quite successful in in switching the business away from just reliance uh, on flights and and domestic holidays in here in Australia. The casinos also reported. Uh, We own Crown at the moment in the funds. Uh, I think you can make an argument for owning Crown or the Star Group. They're, they're slightly different, but uh, their share prices have come off by, I guess, around 25 or 30% from their highs. So expectations have clearly come down. And it had a very similar story in terms of their results. The VIP stuff, which is really where you get the cream and the profits, was weak. Uh, so that's particularly the Chinese whales, if you like, that come to Australia and, and spend up big and hopefully lose big for the casinos. But the domestic business, so that's just people like you and I walking in and playing the pokies and a few of the tables, uh, that stuff was reasonably solid. But you have to remember that, if, again, if we do have some sort of recession, then those discretionary parts uh, will be slow as, as people spend less money. But the longer term is about the developments uh, in Queensland for STAR. And for the big uh, development here in Sydney, I guess the VIP, uh, even though I think you only need to gamble a minimum of $20 to to get in to the new Barangaroo facility, which I actually think will look brilliant down there. It's already got a heap of restaurants down there. It's a very nice part of Sydney already and a lot of businesses and and big office buildings down there. So I I don't know what the returns are going to be uh, instantly next year when it opens, uh, but I think over the long term it will be a a great asset for Australia and and a great one for, for Crown. Next one is Sydney Airport. So again, another long-term holding for Intelligent Investor and one we have in the funds. Uh, It's a a great asset, it's a monopolistic asset, but again, it showed a consistent theme as we've seen with Coles and Woolies, and that is the international visitors going through the airport uh, grew reasonably well at around 4.7%, and that's, that's all you need to do to have great earnings growth in a business like Sydney Airport with relatively fixed costs. But the domestic travel was weak and it only grew, I think it was 1.5% annually. So you can see how weak it was. Uh, And again, I think this just comes down to people tightening their belts. And there are also some capacity constraints as well. Uh, I'm not sure what the details were, whether there was just less cheap offerings. But uh, you can expect that part of the business to suffer a little bit in a recession. Although what you might actually see is, is less international travel and more domestic travel. But again, it's a wonderful asset. The question more is about the valuation it had some good news recently where an investigation by the regulators into whether Sydney Airport was manipulating its uh, monopoly position to, to gouge airlines, and they said they weren't doing that. So that was a very good outcome. But it's a wonderful asset. It's just I don't think we can expect 10% or 11% per annum at this current price. If we can get, a, I guess, uh, probably anywhere from 7 to 9%, which is mostly made up of the distribution, I think uh, you'll have done fairly well for such a high-quality business. Another great result from a company that you just think shouldn't have a great result, and that's Breville. Uh, So this is uh, an appliance manufacturer, and uh, I'm guessing the reason it does well is because although you can buy a $10 toaster at Kmart, people actually these days don't want a $10 toaster in their house, and if they can afford something better, they'd rather have a $150 toaster that matches the the interior of their home or apartment. And so Breville, which was sold down in December to around $10, actually uh, jumped back up to around $14 or $15 and I've been asking myself, why did we never really, I don't think we ever recommended this at Intel as an investor. And this is a business that just continues to do well. It's investing in all the right things. It's investing in research and development to provide uh, more interesting and better products. It's investing in global expansion. So this is actually one I've got on my watch list and one I'd really like to own, but I'm just not prepared to pay the current price. But if it got back to $10 again, um, then I probably would. Another company which, uh, again, I'm not sure if we've ever recommended this at Intelligence Investor, but we've always looked at it. I I stupidly put a hold on it. I think at about $16 around the GFC. It's a company called Blackmore's. So this is the vitamin uh, company. And the main reason its share price has been stuck there at around $130 for a while. And it fell back to, I think it was $88 and jumped back up to about $95 after reporting. It's got a fairly new CEO. And the main reason was the growth in China was slowing but it was actually the third parties, in a sense, the people who buy Blackmore's uh, vitamins, for example, and then go and sell it in China. That's where the slow growth was. But it's actually done a deal with a, a company, uh, a baby store company in China, to have a direct relationship with and, and essentially grow the business directly, which I think is smart for the long term, it gives them more control over their product uh, and reduces the risk of any bad behaviour surrounding their products. And we all know that China loves Australian products. It sees them as very healthy and reliable and safe. And we wouldn't want anything to happen to that reputation. But it just means slower growth in the short term for Blackmores as as it expands in that way. But I think long term that's healthy. The company still trades uh, in the 20s in terms of price to earnings ratio. So it's not cheap enough uh, for me yet. But if you're interested in a, a really good piece of analysis on it, an old friend of Intelligent Investor, a guy called Tony Schenner, who runs a fund called the Selector Fund. If you go to his website, and I think it was last December quarter, or maybe it was the last September quarter, uh, if you read the quarterly, there's um, some really nice analysis of uh, what Blackmores is doing in China and Indonesia as well. And if it's anywhere near successful Indonesia as it, it's going to look, um, then it's probably gonna be a, a pretty good stock for the long term, but I just like it a little bit cheaper. Two more stocks on my list. Uh, one was uh, the last recommendation I ever made at Intelligent Investor. It's a company called CleanAway. So this is uh, the company that picks up garbage. And people were quite worried about this business because uh, Bingo, which is a new competitor that recently listed on the stock market, its share price crashed uh, 49%, I think it was, on the day after announcing uh, a profit downgrade. Uh, CleanAway, to me, is um, seems to be a much higher quality operator. It has a lot of long-term contracts uh, with the government for just uh, municipal waste. But a lot of this stuff is very low margin, but it just shows when you've got the right manager in charge of the business what can happen because the result was absolutely stunning. Uh, the margins were up, there was good revenue growth and when you combine those things you have excellent profit growth as well. So uh, the manager, the new CEO, fairly new CEO there is doing a great job and uh, it's a company I'd like to own but uh, I think it's fairly priced uh, at the current valuation uh, but it could actually have a little bit more uh, juice in it if the uh, uh, the company comes out with another great result over the next 6 to 12 months. But clearly, again, a thing that's been running through a lot of reporting season is that discretionary spending is falling, uh, revenue is falling for a lot of these companies, and clean away and a lot of these, uh, I guess, tip or bin uh, rubbish companies, if there's less... Uh, building in the economy then there's a lot less waste to pick up as well and we saw this through the gfc for the u.s waste companies so uh, they're not as stable i think as what some people think they are but uh, they are fairly stable and and it's nice to see a a good ceo running this business for a change it was actually the change of ceo which is the reason i recommended it but he only lasted about six months and and left uh, in a big surprise uh, but the company's done really well since then the last company, it's one in, in our growth portfolio, and again, um, I recommended this, I think, way back in about 2014, at, I think I said long-term buy, at 76 cents 76 cents up to 80 cents. It's a company called NanoSonics. Uh, I was far too conservative back then. The, the share price is up about four times since then. And NanoSonics is uh, a company uh, that's run by uh, an ex-cochlear uh, executive, and once I saw him shift across to this company, uh, I got very interested. This is another medical uh, device company, and it has uh, basically doesn't have any competitors at the moment. So it's got about 17 or 18,000 Trophon units that are sold in the U.S. and about 2,000 Trophon units uh, elsewhere in the world. And basically, it just has the one system to keep these things clean. So When you go to the doctors and uh, maybe if you're a woman who's pregnant and uh, they use the uh, device to look inside your stomach, uh, the way that these were cleaned in the past was that they were just generally wiped clean or dipped in chemicals and now those devices are actually in the little nanosonics unit and it basically guarantees that there's no bugs that can be spread to other people and so they're nice and safe and clean to, to reuse. So Nanosonics has built a nice little business. It's it's a billion dollar business now, which is pretty incredible given it doesn't really make a lot of profit. Uh, it's one I'm struggling to hang on to at this valuation, but I know the one mistake I've made over time is selling what great businesses when they start to look expensive. So I'm resisting the urge to sell it. Uh, there's lots of growth coming for this business, but it's also priced that way. So. It's hard to make a value case at the moment, but the share price is somewhat volatile. So if you are interested in this company, and again, Australia tends to punch well above its weight in uh, the medical device industry. We've seen ResMed and Fish and Pockwell Healthcare and uh, Cochlear do well, and I think this is another one that will do well. Uh, it's got a nice uh, razor and razor blade model where you, uh, you buy the device, but then you have to buy the other materials when they run out to uh, keep, uh, keep these things clean. So, it's a really nice little business, and actually, what we're seeing right now is it's the first time, it's basically five years since they launched the Trophon device, and five years is the, the start of the replacement for those devices. So, again, we should start to see increasing sales, and they've also just uh, launched the Trophon 2 unit, so it's got a few extra bells and whistles. Uh, but again, it, it's hard to say that this isn't already factored into the share price when you've got a I think it's a billion, uh, almost $1.1 billion market cap for profits that are you know, only around $20 million or less. But again, it's a high quality business and we've owned it for a long time and we're prepared to continue on owning it for the moment. So I think that's enough from reporting season at the moment. We've got a lot more results to get through. Uh, there was one question we got uh, through the email that uh, we didn't get to. It was a micro cap, so we'll try and get uh, to that uh, in a week and a half. Again, uh, send us a question at in the game at investment.com.au and we've got our Eastern Seaboard Roadshow coming up. We're in Brisbane on Thursday. Next week, next Tuesday, we're in Melbourne and the week after on the Wednesday, we're in Sydney. So if you'd like to come and ask us a few questions, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks very much for listening.
0: To learn more about the income, growth and small companies funds, head over to investmart.com.au. Relevant disclosure documents should be read before making any investment decisions. And if you have any questions you'd like answered by our team, send us an email at skininthegame at